Hey family, thank you for following and trusting the path that led you here. This is Flow Space, Conscious Conversations with J&D. I'm Jerrica. And I'm Deandra. Our discussions will be led by intuition and spirit as we continue to evolve and learn about what it means to live an earthly human experience. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Welcome. Thank you so much. Hi. Hi, I'm Jerrica. I'm Deandra. Hello. Um, I was grateful that I still kept my Skype account. I was going to get rid of it ages ago. So I'm like, I know it's in here somewhere. I went looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> try and remember the password and all that drama. But anyway, it's all good. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here with us. Welcome to Flow Space. Thank you. Would right. you like to me to share um, photos or just talk? Um, our podcast, we don't share the video. We just take some screenshots for like our social media accounts. So you can, if you want to share um, pictures with us, we can share that on our social media. Um, whatever flows, whatever feels most in flow for you. That's perfect. I, I, I love it when I don't have to do anything except talk. So it works Oh, great. Right. Okay, cool. Um, so to get started here, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, well, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm from New Zealand. Um, my name is Veda Austin and I'm a water researcher. I've been studying water for nearly nine years now and in various different areas. I come from a rather indigenous point of view. So um, my father is Maori and so we're the indigenous people of New Zealand. And there is a saying that the health of the river reflects the health of the people. And so I very much am in alignment with that. But there is also the belief within our culture that water is a living being. In fact, uh, New Zealand was one of the, well, actually the first country in the world to give the rights of a person to a river because the Maori tribe uh, for the Whanganui River actually fought so hard because what they saw was the belly of the river being scraped to get rid of, to get the gravel and the uh, mouth of the river was being filled with effluents and the headwaters, the head is considered the most sacred part, um, was being diverted and that was the equivalent of aquatic decapitation. And to them, they believe that that river is part of their ancestors. That's part of who they are. And so they were feeling very strongly about it. And gratefully, um, after quite a lot of years, uh, the New Zealand government agreed to make that river uh, have the rights of a person. And so oh. in my work, I study the work with water and consciousness and how that works, interacts, and I photograph the crystallography of water after I have interacted with it. So, for example, I might write a word and put my petri dish of water on top of that word. Perhaps that word is creation. And then I'll freeze it and I'll see a reflection of that word. I might write the word I and I will see an eye appear in the ice. So 
Water isn't just like a photocopier. I've certainly seen that over the years. It appears to not only be affected by conscious expression, but it seems to be able to respond independently. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's very, very interesting uh, work, and it keeps evolving and evolving and evolving. And how did you begin this research with the water? I was inspired by three people. Um, well, actually, you can go back a little further. People will always say to me, so, you know, how did this relationship with water begin? And I always say we've always had a relationship with water by molecular count. We're 99% beings of water. And we know what it is to have relationships with with water because we have relationships with people and pets and plants and all kinds of things, all of which are bodies of water in different containers. But for me, my three inspiration, uh, inspirational people were many of which um, con- the conscious community are aware of as Masaru Emoto, although he wasn't uh, embraced by the scientific community. His work really opened the door for people to see themselves as bodies of water that are sensitive to both uh, thoughts and environment and all these kinds of things. So it was wonderful because his work was very much in contrast. Uh, For example, the word love written on a glass of water and then uh, he'll take a drop of that and flash freeze it and microscopically take a photo of the crystallography and he will see that the word love has designed um, within the ice. So I'll, I'll say that water doesn't read words. Water reads the energy of words, which is why it can understand all languages and symbols. So mm-hmm. the word love gives off a certain energy and the crystallography formed in a beautiful snowflake-like pattern, whereas in comparison, the word hate really failed to form structure. And so the next person uh, that inspired me was, he's actually a friend of mine. His name is Laurent Costa. He is a French photographer. He also takes microscopic photos, very similar to Masaru Emoto, except he has a different way of viewing what he does and interacting with water that's very much in alignment with how I think about water. And that is that he thinks of water as his spiritual teacher. And he didn't want to experiment on water because he considers that water, like myself, is uh, a kind of expression of fluid consciousness. And so what he wanted to do was invite water to share whatever it wanted. So there were many times where he would be looking into the water with his face and then he would uh, also flash freeze it. So it's where, where something invisible becomes visible. This is the beauty of freezing. And so he would get faces, happy faces, looking back at him in these microscopic photographs. And he'd get hearts and fish. And for me, I worked professionally as an oil painter for 15 years. And I see the world very much from an artistic perspective. So when I saw imagery which is obviously, in this case, very different than Masaru Emoto's work, which was in geometries. When I'm seeing faces that are smiling at me, I'm like, that makes me want to smile. Mm-hmm. And so that really um, impacted me. In fact, actually, I had one of those moments where I had been following him for some time and I thought his work was amazing. And he actually reached out to me 
saying he how much he loved my work and we had this kind of moment where I was like oh my god Laurent Costa's reaching out to me <laughs> <laughs> and then the other person was uh, a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus and he was a radionic engineer and he observed something really interesting he observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed and this is when he went into a Parisian meat market and so for example the frost would freeze in the shape of a liver organ when it was um, above a liver organ and so on and so forth and so what he thought was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs even though they were no longer attached to an animal and what he said was that he he thought it could be because there was still water in the blood and the water was communicating from a liquid state to an air state because water communicates in all its different stages. The only stage, and there are four stages, liquid, solid, gas, and then a type of plasma or gel. That's actually the kind of water that's inside of our cells and it has different properties. So it has a negative charge, it absorbs more light, it acts like a little battery and um, it has is more viscous so it's more stretchy and so as I became more and more kind of familiar with all these people and Thomas's observations were really wonderful for me all those nine years ago because he was viewing things with his naked eye he wasn't using a microscope these were macroscopic and back then I didn't have a microscope so I'm like, well, you know, I want to try this for myself. I just want to really have memory. Like I always say, try things for yourself if you can. Don't believe everything you see and read. And so um, I very organically thought that I would just give it a go. So I had a healing experience with water, which is a whole other hour story. But, um, <laughs> but I got some of the spring water that had helped to heal my body. And uh, I put some into a glass Petri dish, which I had for some other things I was doing. And my idea was really basic. I, basically, I thought that I would just project a thought into the water and freeze it because the magic always seemed to happen for everybody in the freezing space. So as I was looking in the uh, Petri dish, I noticed there was a little bit of fluff floating around in the water. So I was like, oh my God. So I put my hand in to take the fluff out consciously thinking, I wonder if the water, um, if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote unquote memory, because I really didn't know if that was a real thing or if it was true. And so I put it into the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and the ice cream and everything, and I forgot about it. And I came back hours later, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, there's that water, let's see what happened. So I pulled it out, and I held it up to the light, and I took a photo literally on my iPhone. Wow. And that first photo has launched 36,000 photos of water responding intelligently. The picture uh -huh. I saw was literally of a hand. And it wasn't just any hand. I have t these two crooked fingers. And the image in, of the hand had crooked fingers in the same place as me. And it looked very much like an x-ray. And it kind of freaked me out. Honestly, when you, when you see these things, often this is one of the first reactions I get to pe uh, from people um, when they see the work because it isn't 
you know, it's very easy to identify the images. It's not uh, difficult. It's not like, oh, I think I can make that out. No, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. And when you see that water has done that, uh, the reaction I often get is, oh, that's so weird, or oh my God, that's that's creepy. And I didn't feel weird or creepy, but I felt like this shock go through my body. And so I, I showed that photo to my son who didn't know what I'd done. And hey, I said, hey, Rama, you know, what does this look like to you? And he said, oh, it looks like a hand, mum. Looks like a kind of creepy hand, he said, but it looks like a hand. <laughs> like, no, it really does. And to put it into perspective of size, my Petri dish is um, basically the size of my hand, around about nine centimetres all the way around. It took up half of that Petri dish. And because it was frozen solid, and I don't do that anymore, I haven't done for years, and I'll explain why soon, uh, it really was quite remarkable how that the darker part of this ice came out basically like in this hand shape and the rest was more white around it. And so I then went down to the beach because I thought if any water is going to be informed, it would be seawater. It's got, it's full of life. Mm-hmm. And so I froze some seawater and I got this incredible fish with fins and gills and a perfect round eye and its shape and tail. And then my freezer became my most used household appliance and I started doing all of this work. And over time, having seen this happen uh, very, very regularly, I began to become much more familiar with the new science of water and that fourth phase of water that I mentioned, the stage which is between molecular chaos, which is when water is in a glass, it's updating its information every trillionth, trillionth of a second. It's crazy. And then to molecular order, which is when it is basically a solid and it's ice. So the stage in between when water is beginning to freeze, but before it is frozen, is a very magical space that I call the space of creation because that's what I see happen in there and so because I thought I was missing something and this was very much an intuitive thought I started to open the freezer like earlier and earlier and earlier to see what was going on in there because I know that I could get imagery just by totally freezing um, the water solid but I just sensed that there was more to it. And I thought, well, if there is this in-between stage, maybe I can see what water's doing at that stage. Mm -hmm. And so after looking in the freezer a whole ton of times, I began to observe something very, very interesting. And that is that within five minutes in my freezer, and it's different freezer timing for each person, it's freezing timing because each person's freezer setting is different. Um, But for me, It was around between three minutes and 45 seconds and five minutes um, for the freezer I was using. And the thing that happens is that what I wanted to do was capture the first freeze. So water freezes in layers. And you don't see that because most people think of ice as just this kind of solid block that you get like an ice cube. And we don't really tend to look much further than that. But actually, if you watch ice freeze, you'll see that there is a first freeze and it's still liquid on top and then it starts to freeze in layers. So when I teach people how to do this technique in my workshops, I always over freeze one, but don't totally freeze it. So I 
I freeze it for 15, 20 minutes or something. And then I'm able to show them how you can crack through those layers. And it's very interesting because you just miss that when you're just looking at a regular ice cube. Mm. Not that there's anything regular about ice cubes. But <laughs> <laughs> but so when you when I did that, I'm like, <clears throat> I noticed that there was a liquid on top and an ice underneath. So I organically just kind of pulled it out to see what the ice looked like and um, poured away the liquid water. And then I discovered that there is all of this incredible imagery within the first freeze. So how this works is very much like a glue and glitter picture. So when we were children, you, you may have done it too, you're given a piece of paper and a glue stick and you draw like a heart or something on the paper and then you get some glitter or some sand and you sprinkle it over and then you tip it, hold it up and tip away the, um, the glue, I mean the glitter or the sand that wasn't a, a, a kind of attracted to the glue. Yeah. To the glue. So the glue is essentially like your conscious expression, your frequency, your vibration. And the glitter or the water that is attracted to your frequency, your vibration, your thought pattern adheres to the bottom of the glass petri dish first whereas the loose glitter or sand that you would shake off is akin to the water that you tip away and so that first freeze is where I started to get imagery which was so clear and three-dimensional you could see so much light coming through and water works with light in the most incredible way in fact I actually think that water uses light to uh, create and I say this because I've managed to capture a photo where water is just beginning to freeze and it always sends these little shoots out first. And around the little shoot is almost like a halo, like, a, like an aura of white around that shoot. And you can see it on the two or three shoots that are coming out. And, and I, that was such a powerful photo for me because there was an indigenous woman I spoke to some time ago and she said that she could talk to bees and she said that she would watch the hive for a long time and was fascinated with watching the bees come and go and she said that one of the bees came out and however it spoke to her it said we don't mind you watching us but please don't watch us our hive for too long because your conscious expression is putting too much light into our hive and we like it to be a little darker and that really resonated with me because I thought well if our conscious expression is putting light into whatever we focus on and one of the qualities of fourth phase water is that it is able to absorb more light then if I'm putting my conscious expression into this water it's giving water more of an ability to have more light to work with and design and so I think there is a connection, although I don't have all the pieces put together yet, where water and your conscious expression, which can be also termed as light, holding and storing information in a mm -hmm. form of some kind of um, bond, I call it like this invisible bond, that's able to share uh, what you're thinking or what you're feeling even more so. An example of that is there was a lady who I now work with, who's from Slovenia. And she was using my technique, and so she was wanting water to show her a tulip. And that was like her, her mental thought, like, let's, let's show, us, show me a tulip. 
But she was so flawed when Water showed her an, an really incredible image of her two dogs, one who had died and one who was alive. And the one who was alive, she'd been worried about all week because there was something wrong with, with her dog. And that was what was in her heart. Mm-hmm. And so she found it like a couple of tiny tulips in the dish, but the most of the dish with these two dogs and one was like an Afghan dog. So they have a very specific look. And when you actually see her photos, which I'll be sharing at some point soon, you'll be so surprised. And so she said, so, but why didn't it show me like big tulips or something? I said, because water doesn't do small talk. Water is always going straight to the heart of the matter. We forget all of the time that we are bodies of water. We see everything, everything in this world through the lens of water because our eye lens is 99% highly ordered structured water. And I've always said if eyes are the windows to the soul, then tears must be an expression of spirit. But until we identify ourselves as this kind of ocean, I, and one way to do that, as I say to children, I used before the whole last couple of years happened, I would go into schools and do teach children between the ages of eight and sort of 12 and kind of do a water science project mixed with an art project. And I would teach them how to do all of this work. But I would say if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like? And always the idea that we are tributaries, that we are moving waters would come up. But one boy said, I think I'd look like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain pouring out throughout the shape of my body. Wow. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) And so... You know, we we do have this tendency to see this human body as a very solid thing. And even though we're only a leak away and like a, a cut away from leaking or an emotion away from leaking or a whole lot of other things away from leaking, we still, because seeing is believing is so much ingrained in the way in which we observe the world, uh, we don't see, although we do see, We don't see this body as a fluid system, but we do see it in our eye lens. And when we cry, and when we urinate, and when we sweat, and we cut ourselves, and all of these kinds of things. So, in fact, it's it's actually we're we're taught uh, all life is carbon based, which is not wrong, but for us, we're more water based than anything else. And I think the part that's lost is our identifying what what we're made of and what makes us us. So if you, pardon the pun, boil everything down, essentially we are water, minerals, salts, and consciousness. And my friend Moses Hackman, he beautifully put it. He said, I think he thinks that water is the glove on the hand of consciousness. And I think that Water and consciousness are so intimately intertwined that they behave and look as one. One of the things we forget when we consider water is that it's in its different phases and stages. It can be a liquid, solid, gas, and plasma, as I've said. But within those um, stages and phases, there are subtleties. And the secrets 
lie in the subtleties. And for me, even, even the notion and thought about what happens to the spirit or the soul or the subtle body after you die, how do we observe ourselves? How do we observe ourselves in dreams? How can people astral travel? How are any of those things possible? And one of the most obvious ones that we could all do right now, and I, I can do it right now, is where I can observe myself having this conversation with you. So how is it possible that we can do that outside of like various different postulations? I can add another one, which would be that I personally think, and again, I really hope the technology one day can advance to be able to capture this because I think it would really ease a lot of people's hearts. But um, there are many different philosophies, uh, different religions, different kinds of points of view around um, this topic where it's said that that drop of consciousness, that spirit or life force energy within us is like a, like a drop. So what I see in water is these two types of water, like I mentioned, when it's like a liquid and a solid. And I sometimes call it informed and uninformed water. The water that was informed, that was most, most attracted to your uh, thought processes or your image or whatever you're sharing with water and then the uh, uninformed water that simply is being uh, kind of that, that you tip away it's not that there's in, it doesn't have a meaning or a quality it's just that it didn't pick up on your vibration or that part of the energy first and so I think that inside people there are these two types of water uh, this part is a, a guess, of course. We can't actually see soul, spirit, or these kinds of things, but it just has always made sense. So if we have a drop of conscious expression within us, which has always been with us and evolves as we evolve, it stores and holds our information and is the kind of blueprint of conscious expression, then I think because we're, and then the other water, the second water, is this moving fluid system that we have that hydrates us and does all of these biological things for our function. So I think that that conscious expression, that kind of water, upon death, is able to go, or maybe it is able to go from a kind of liquid to a vibrational vapor without boiling. And because we know so little about water, and we really, really know so little about water, we're getting more information, but there is so, it's very rudimentary still. Even, even though many science have, scientists have worked on it, I think that there is just so much to know. We keep thinking we know a lot, and then it's like, oh my God, actually, there's so much more here that, to know. And so within these stages, I said there were subtleties. And so I think it's possible that that liquid goes into some kind of vibrational vapor and as a gas expands, it cools, which is why people would feel spirit as cold. But it also explains that feeling of rising and observation that many people who speak of having near-death experiences talk about. And I've interviewed a few of them. And one of them, his name was Hone Edmonds, whose heart stopped beating for 25 minutes. And he uh, had that feeling of rising and then he had that feeling and sense that he was looking down over his body and he said, oh, I hope that person's going to be okay. So I have always thought that water is the observer, 
It's not in judgment. It's observing. Mm-hmm. And so that it was very, very clear to me when he said that, and a couple of other people said the same thing. They lost attachment to the physical body, but became observant of it. And so I think that when one of the ways we feel energy in the world is felt through this realm of water. So we are, as we know, a body of water, and there is a conscious expression within it. And I think that conscious expression can be felt throughout the body and not just necessarily in one place. And so we also have an electrical charge, which can be measured by heart math in various different forms and ways. And so also we're salt water, not fresh water. Salt water is electrical. So that also gives an electrical charge. And so I think that the water that's in the air which we don't tend to think about because we can't see it, is attracted to that electrical charge and it actually creates a kind of web around us, like a spider web, of which where we can use that, that information that is translated from, an, uh, from the air into the body and we're able to feel into a room, feel into a person, feel how this, this, uh, the energy of this place feels because it can connect to the energy that's still there in the air. And... If there's an electrical charge, it will stay there. And I think what happens when we observe ourselves is that that life force energy can come and go, can actually move on that track of um, that kind of spider web of energetic um, information through the air and the water. And I think that when we observe ourselves, that's what happens. When we're observing, we're not judging, we're viewing. And well, that's what happens, it appears, for people that have had near-death experiences where they go into the observer space. But also you can observe yourself as well as be the, um, the dreamer. So I've observed myself in dreams multiple times. And um, I, I know I've heard of people that have had astral travel experiences. I remember living in Japan, actually, and I was always homesick all the time. My mum was like, I was such a mummy's girl. I love my mum so much. She was like an mm-hmm. absolute angel. And I must have been missing her extra. And um, she rang me. It was like three in the morning in Japan. And I heard the phone going. And I woke up out of this deep sleep. And I answered the phone. And my mum, she said, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I was, I was asleep. And she said, no, you weren't. You were here. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, no, you were sitting at the end of my bed. She wow. said, I swear to God, you were here and I had to ring you. And and I'm like, well, what, what was I doing? <laughs> and my mother is not someone to, to, to do that, you know. And so she was. <laughs> oh, gosh, I didn't even know. But, um, but that's also that power of love. And I'll share a really beautiful story about my work and my mum now it seems like appropriate time so uh, we would write to each other when I um, was living in Japan and that was before uh, cell phones and emails and all that kind of stuff and my mum would always attempt to draw a circle and then she'd put a heart in the middle but my mum's circles were terrible and she'd be the first to tell you that she was like they looked like kind of misshapen rotis and um, and so she died in 1999, and um, I, and that was just, she was quite young when she died, and so 
uh, I always miss her. And so I said to the water, I said, can you please connect to my mum? And when I froze the water using my technique, this misshapen circle with a heart in the middle appeared. And it meant so much to me. And now every year on her birthday, I ask the same question and I see the same response. And what I've come to know now is that water is well beyond the veil. It's not, there isn't the separation that we think. And I think because I've studied water for so long and all these different aspects of how um, potentially spirit can move out of the physical, I think when someone dies and doesn't come back into their body, it's when that electrical charge stops giving, emitting. Mm -hmm. And so even if your heart stops beating, it said that your brain, there's still some brain function going on in there. There's some activity for quite a while afterwards. And they have measured it's like 10 or 15 minutes or something around that region. And so I think that um, that whole process has kind of been something that has just made sense to me uh, because I can't think quite yet how else that can work and because I have had so many profound experiences in all these different realms with water um, I think water is a teacher and is teaching us something we need to know I have done so much work with water uh, showing, like I said, showing it words, showing it pictures, even showing it pictures of pe people. So I wanted to see if water could do like this facial recognition. And and so I'll, I'll say what I was going to say after this. But um, so I've, I've shown it, I've put di uh, different photos out and then put the Petri dishes of water on top of them. So each person obviously looks different. And each petri dish once frozen will show those different features of that person and if the person is on a profile it will show the profile if the person is looking face on it will show it face on and after quite some years I've stopped inviting water that much to do this because I don't need to know that it can do it anymore it doesn't have to prove itself to me water mm -hmm. is wild <laughs> and, and, and by molecular count, we're 99% water. We're all so wild, and we don't always want to be told what to do. Yeah. And I think there is this part of us, and we are emotional. We're emotional beings. And water, I think, is the most reflective of emotion. And so I, I feel like, and even in the words, you know, my, I, my tears welled up, and uh, I was moved to tears and all these kinds of things and then tears seem to be the expression that comes out of emotion that we can both see taste and touch what if tears are really just emotions that we can actually see mm -hmm. and so when you kind of start diving into this thing with like seeing that water can show imagery and recognize imagery and also show you things that you didn't expect to see like I showed you about to, told you about my friend um, who got the images of the dogs rather than just the tulips and I mean that's happened to me multiple times where I've um, simply asked a question to water and not known what I was going to see and it has been extremely relevant I said to water do you know my name and it revealed my initials 
linked exactly how I link them. Whenever I sign documents, how I actually link my initials together as a specific way, Water sh actually showed me my initials. I, um, I've actually said hi to Water, and about three or four times now I've done this, and I've got H-I back actually in the eye. And oh, yeah, <laughs> that's really amazing. And so it is this thing where, however, I will say this, it doesn't always work. If I am in a, a very frustrated mood and I've just been stuck in traffic or the children have been driving me crazy or something, and I think it's a good idea to go ahead and do some crystallography for someone, uh, what if, Water is never in judgment, but it doesn't res resonate in that frequency of frustration and anger. It just won't work. And so that's always encouraged me so much because there have been great people in the world like Tesla and um, Victor Schauberger who, have just, who are just such geniuses. But towards the end of their lives, their work has been taken away from them and could have potentially used for either hidden or used for some negative things. Mm -hmm. But what I love about this work with water is that I've seen over and over and over and over again that it resonates just at a higher frequency. It's actually there for betterment. That's its purpose. And so if I'm going – and there are times – where I'm just not in the right space. And water is a reflection of us. And so it's very, very interesting to observe when that happens because I have to lose my ego doing this work. I can't go into expectation. I can't actually think of water as it, knowing what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done a lot of repeat studies um, and I try to remain as neutral as I can when I do all of this work. Um, especially with the repeat studies. And so for the sound of OM, the universal sound of OM, water will design um, these uh, kind of circles that look very similar to the rings of a tree. And so in my arrogance, I assumed that water would do something similar, bless you, um, something similar <laughs> uh, with the sound of a gong because it has a sort of similar vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But water designed the gong with a mallet on top. It designed the instrument instead of the circles to remind me that I don't know everything. In fact, I, I often have to just go into that space of being like a child and, and just being open to all new possibilities. Thinking that I know something actually is not the way to go into this work with water because the most spectacular work that I have got has when I have been just in a space of humility and curiosity. Mm -hmm. And so when people start doing this work and often people hear about it, they see the photos that I post on social media and they may have my book, The Secret Intelligence of Water, they want to do it. And I, and I love it when people want to do it. I'm like, do this for yourself, please do it. But one of the most important things I suggest to people is don't start with an expectation. This is a relationship. So when you begin a relationship, one of the things you don't do is expect that person to start doing stuff for you. That's not really 
the kind of healthy relationship we want. Mm-hmm. Um, what we want to do is simply just invite water to share its natural patterns. Get to know what your natural what your water looks like naturally. If you're using tap water, which is sometimes a great control water, if you want to use that term, although I hate that term, but just so people understand how I mean on a small scientific term, if water is your control, the tap water, I mean, tap water tends to form disordered patterns compared to spring water, for example, which will form what I call fern hexagons. They look like a star with little ferns coming off it in a hexagonal pattern. It will show ferns and it will show flowers and kind of imagery that looks very much like you'd see in nature. Whereas Mm -hmm. tap water has gone through a lot of right angled pipes and uh, has picked up a lot of heavy metals and things like that. And I term that the tap water is often kind of like someone who's not very well. Mm -hmm. And the spring water tends to be like, someone who's like a very very healthy specimen of a person Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so what I see is that if you get to know your tap water and you get to see that it consistently kind of just shows you that it um, has a slightly disordered pattern you get to see commonalities do at least 10 to 20 no influence um, uh, co-create pictures beforehand And so you really know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And then get a singing bowl, for example. Put the tap water into a singing bowl and play it, and then scoop some of that water out and freeze it. You'll notice that there has been a significant change structurally. It might start looking a lot more like spring water patterns. You might see it starting to get some ferns or some little hexagons or flowers there. And that means that your water has energetically begun to heal. Because I think that water has an energetic state of health. It doesn't change chemically. The, the tap water doesn't change chemically, but it changes structurally. So if we take a person, for example, who is not well, which is kind of like the tap water, maybe they you know, have a lot of toxins and things going on or something is wrong, um, and someone comes, they still have the choice to feel happy or sad. And if someone comes and gives them a hug, and says, oh, you look amazing or something nice, uh, that's going to make that person feel happy. Mm -hmm. So there would probably be a structural change going on in them. But the doctor may say you're still sick. But what that that means is any structural positive change is a good thing. It's going to help you heal faster. Mm -hmm. And an interesting thing I have observed, and I've started to – post this on social media and I'm doing a very interesting test this week which I'm excited about I've observed that if you put a glass of two glasses of water beside each other one is tap water and one is um, like spring water that you've collected and so you know the structures of both but if you put them together side by side and leave them overnight um, the healthy water will influence the unhealthy water So when you do the crystallography of the unhealthy water after it's been sitting next to the healthy water overnight, you'll see there's an improvement in crystallography. Mm -hmm. But the water that I used as my test water also had a naturally high pH of 9.9. It was incredibly natural alkaline water, and it was the water I used that actually helped heal my body. And so that water um, helped influence the tap water to even upgrade its pH level 
which was really remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a test recently because at the moment I'm in California and I've been out to the States many times now over the years and I always do a test with egg albumin. I've done a whole study on, on eggs and I always thought if any water is going to be informed out of, out of seawater, it would be amniotic fluid. But since it's not easily accessible to get human amniotic fluid, I thought, well, eggs are a great container of life. And the egg white is kind of, there's, a, there's part of the egg white which is akin to um, amniotic fluid. And it's, it's a consistency is more like saliva. And so when you freeze that and photograph it, in New Zealand, I've used free-range, healthy hens, and we don't have that much pollution going on in New Zealand. We are an island, and so I've always seen these most incredible patterns, six patterns that I've identified. And when I've come to the States and bought free-range hen eggs, um, I, I haven't seen those patterns. I've only seen one pattern that I call the brain pattern appear. Kind of looks like lots of squiggly lines. And I thought, wow, why am I not seeing any more complexity? Is it the environment? Is it that they're, they've been sitting on the shelf too long? Like, what's going on? So I did a, a, a speaking engagement a few weeks ago at, at a, out in a place called Fillmore at an event called Sewing Sovereignty. And I bought some of the free-range eggs there, and they range around on a biodynamic farm. It's organic, so what they're free-ranging on is also significant. And I was excited to try them. And so I did the test with the albumin, and I saw the beautiful patterns that I see back in New Zealand. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank goodness. And they had only just been um, laid, so they were really fresh. Mm-hmm. So what I did was take that those eggs that were super healthy and um, and had beautiful crystallography and a lot of information, and I sat them next to battery farmed egg eggs, and I never, I've never, and I've done a lot of tests on battery farmed egg albumin. I've never ever seen any more than one pattern occur in that um, albumin. Sometimes you see nothing; it's just like a jelly. Wow. But what I saw after it sat next to the healthy egg was there was a dramatic improvement in its structure. And what that suggests is that in nature, nature is always looking to upgrade, to improve. If you look at the animal kingdom, you'll see that it's always the survival of the healthiest and the fittest. Often the young, that are the runts of the litter will get killed. And so in this early stage, um, and also with water, you're seeing that there is a desire to gain bit more information, to upgrade, to actually be healthier. And so people have quite rightly asked the question. It's always going to come up as an adult question because we have seen this occur in our lives where you can be around a lot of negative people and it can bring you down. Mm-hmm. So many people ask the question, well, if this um, will lots and lots of bad eggs affect the good egg? And so the test I'm going to do is get that one amazing good egg and surround it by lots and lots of eggs that um, are battery farmed or barn laid eggs and um, 
and see what happens. See if the good egg impacts positively the ones around it or if it's if crystallography declines. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see the results for that. Yeah. Do you have a hypothesis of what the result will be? I do. So my hypothesis is that um, I, because I believe that nature is looking to improve, it doesn't actually serve its purpose to degrade. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at nature, it's a very sophisticated um, world out there. Mm-hmm. When you look at all the different species and all these different things, I mean, eggs are literally containers of life and they have a lot of information in them for the, for the embryo. And I also think it's how ancestral information is transferred to the embryo of any species. And so I actually think because it's nature and it's natural, the eggs that lack information are craving information. And I actually think they will pull that information from the one egg in the middle. I, I think that it's a very human adult thought to have that the negative will overpower the positive because we've experienced or we've seen that. But often what we'll also see in life is that there are many variations of that example. Uh, a child can be brought into an absolutely awful situation as a as a as a, a awful family, basically, and, and within dire situations. And I've heard many, many people talk of their life story and it's so hard people can go through so much trauma and come out being the most incredible lights in this world they you know this is this is definitely something positive they can take all that negative use it as information for what they don't want and just light up the world mm-hmm. we have choice so it, it's interesting because this container of life I don't know whether that's where personality is developed. You know, if some people are, have seemed, we all have these different personalities and it's not like we come out, well, I don't know, you know, you have to ask that question. Do we come out with a completely clean slate? I don't know because we have all this genetic material coming from our mother and our father and our ancestors that have all had experiences of which we have within this container of life that we are. So, you know, it's a very difficult thing to know, but it does, we do come out with our own personalities and you see it in animals, you know, dogs and even chickens, they have their own personality. And (laughs) so that personality is sometimes shaped from, you know, our environment or various things from what we believe, but who we are as a nature being, I think that's the essence of us. Mm -hmm. And, and, when you're in a world full of fear and these kinds of things, I think it's very nice when you apply this, the, this, what it, the, the observations that I have had so far. I'm also going to do the same thing with tap water and fresh, beautiful water. I'm going to find a spring, collect beautiful water while I'm here, put it in the middle and surround it with tap water and also see what happens. So if when I do those two tests, it's really going to prove something to me one way or another. And... I hope that it, it shows what I think it will show because what I think that will do is really show people their own power mm-hmm. because I, I, if you then translate that into a person and I've spent many, many uh, 
times in India. I've been there nine times. It's kind of like a second home to me. And my teacher over there, um, he actually said, you know, the greatest saints and most enlightened people that have walked the earth, they have been like a container of divinity. And that container of divinity has a frequency that expands further than they will ever even go. So that people that they never even meet will be affected positively just by them being open to being this container of love. And when you start working on yourself and be one of the greatest tools I've used is to be the observer rather than be the reacting person. So I will observe myself having an emotional response to something. And as the observer, I'm able to ask, well, when was the first time you felt like this? Why don't you go back to the source of that issue rather than have a knee-jerk reaction and blame that person that it's not even their fault for something that may have happened years and years ago? It's a very helpful tool to be the observer. And so when you start doing that, you know, you start to see that actually the work the internal work that we do on ourselves. We are so horrible to ourselves. It's so awful what we say to ourselves, and we've all done it. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. I don't know how I could do that. Oh, I mean, we have all sorts of feelings come up as humans. You can be jealous of that person's success. You know, it's I, I, I see it a lot with women where a woman, they have a, we have this circle of friends, and if there's a woman that's a little bit overweight and all of a sudden she decides, oh, you know what, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to just do something for myself. And she starts to lose weight and she starts to look amazing. There's always one or two women that even though they won't say it, there is a jealousy that goes on in there. It's like, oh, I kind of was happy with you being that way. And now you're changing. There's a We're such complex, weird people sometimes and that. We can't just be happy for other people for like being their most brilliant selves because we're afraid that that's shining on the fact that maybe we don't feel like we are doing mm -hmm. what we can be or being all we can be. There's this feeling that we're just not enough. Mm -hmm. my, my partner is much younger than me. And if you want to talk about like, being confronted <laughs> like I have I have had to be confronted or regularly especially in the earlier part of our relationship whereby no we're talking a 20-year age gap and so I'm like oh, do I look do I look good enough you know am I am I this enough am I that enough there's so many questions that can come up and so our relationship, it doesn't work in the material realm of my thinking mm -hmm. because I have too many thoughts that come up that just don't work. But when I'm, I'm in my more spiritual realm, none of it matters mm -hmm. because we are, he is one of the most emotionally mature, and beautiful, incredible, like, men I've ever met in my whole life and he really shows me and reflects me in so many ways and so it's like for me because um, I, I have three children and so I'm kind of like the artist and my children are the art and my my husband he is like 
the frame. And Beautiful. he loves all of us. And so this work with water, I mean, we actually met at the water conference in Germany in 2019. Wow. And he, he um, before we'd ever kind of really got to know each other very well, he, um, I'd given a talk and I talked about um, my initials, how they had appeared in the ice, uh, the VA. Mm-hmm. And so he was, he watched that. Anyway, then he had a shower and when he got out of the shower, the uh, mirror was all steamed up. But in the steam were my initials, VA, linked Wow. <laughs> And he and he took a photo and he came down down to the thing and downstairs and he said, "Listen, I, I've got something really weird to show you." And I'm like, "Well, I like weird." And so he showed me and I, and he said, "What do you think it means?" And I'm like, "Well, what do you think it means?" And, <laughs> and the rest is history. But that part of us where we tend to be really hard on ourselves and we don't think we're doing enough and I'm definitely guilty of that um, is where that's part of that what it is to kind of be we say that that's what it is to be human but I think one of the most humane things we can do is actually look at what we love about ourselves you know, look at what is good about us. Look at what we actually have achieved and done. For me, at the moment, because I'm such a workaholic, because I'm so driven and passionate about what I do, and I have a very purpose-driven life, for me, an achievement, actually, although it sounds crazy, is to lie on the couch and do nothing, because that's so hard for me to do. But I know I actually need to take time for myself. And I find that hard. Um, so within this reflection of of relationship it's like where I stand in my relationship with my partner is you know I have to learn to really I had to really learn to love myself and realize you are good enough and realize that I don't have to compare myself to anyone anyone because we're designed perfectly in the form and shape that we are there are no mistakes and so it's really been wonderful and it's and that's what water does because water doesn't resonate at a lower frequency because water is reflective of us recently um, this group of, of, of uh, people and I who do the work and are using my technique they are helping me identify my more latest work which I've been doing over the last four years which I call hydroglyphs Essentially, to get one hydroglyph, I need to have written a word. As I, as I said, water doesn't read words, it reads energy of words. So if I've written a word, say the word love, and then I put my petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds. I just happen to like that number. People often ask me why, and it's just because I do. And then I put it into the freezer, freeze it, and photograph it after I pull it out. Um, you'll see a heart, for example, if you use the word love. But I have to have done that at least 50 times and seen the same result to say I have one hydroglyph. I have somewhere in the region of 34 hydroglyphs now based on words that I've used, and each word kind of has a story as to why I use that word. Mm-hmm. It, it really 
is quite remarkable. And it organically happened when I was using different uh, music because Masaru Emoto's work was really very much in contrast. And the music he used was classical music versus heavy metal. And I'm pretty sure whoever did the heavy metal test probably didn't like it. And so my son, who is uh, 20 now, and he said to me, you know, I don't want to listen to classical music all day long. I, I, I really, really love rap. I, I want to listen to Tupac. And like, I'm like, he said, is water like hating that? And I'm like, no, water is not in judgment. And so I went on this mission to like use all different genres of music and leave the room when I would do the test. So a lot of the work that I do, I'll leave the room and then just simply come and freeze it. And so I did Bob Marley, I did some drum and bass, I did some electronic music and some dance music and like pop music and um, I did like chanting and some classical and some metal and some all rock and all kinds of stuff. And one of the songs that I did a lot of repeat studies with uh, was the song Stairway to Heaven. And what I observed in every single one I did, without exception, was that the, the stairway would appear in the ice. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if the water is like, if, if that actually might mean stairway. And so I wrote the word stairway and did my technique and I saw a staircase, like a stairway in the ice. So I'm like, oh, well, let's try that again. Anyway, over the course of time, I did it 50 times. And I've actually done it much more than that now. And I always see a stairway. So I'm like, you know what? That is a symbol in ice for the word stairway. So what do you do with a stairway? You climb up it. So I wrote the words climb up. And I kept seeing the stairway. I'm like, oh, okay, it has layers of meaning. That's so interesting. And that then led me on to using a lot of really interesting words and seeing what their symbols are. And actually hydroglyphs are very, very much in alignment with hieroglyphs and that they are a language that was not designed to be spoken, but a language that was designed to be felt. So as we begin to understand how to read them when you have different symbols in one Petri dish, there is a, there is a message, there is a language for you. You have to learn how it feels to you rather than use it in your intellectual brain. And that's a very difficult thing for us to unlearn how to do that and then learn how to do this new way of reading things. But we do it. We know how to read symbols. The hier hieroglyphs of today are emojis. So if we write, hey, I'm going to meet you at so-and-so place and blah, 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 and then you have a kissy face and a heart, that gives the tone of the message you know that person's happy and that they are saying uh, that they love you or that there's a you know there's a sweet sentiment there we can read those high, those those emojis um in, in a different way than we read the language and so this is like a conceptual language that you, when you start putting it together for example uh the hydroglyph for living and gratitude because it has layered meanings just like hieroglyphs do is this hexagonal pattern with a star and these um, ferns I started to see that in healthy healthy water and the bigger they are the more that more it means it's healthier 
And so um, I started to think, because there's that term living water. And so I wrote, started to write the word living and I'm like, get this image. And so I also knew that the word for love would form into a heart. But I, inter interestingly enough, um, and this is just a side note, um, I have this incredible pattern which looks like two seeds with fire waves coming out of it. It takes up the entire dish and is the hydroglyph for creation. And all those different people around the world are getting the same pattern and seeing the creation glyph. And as we're beginning to understand what the creation glyph means, we've observed that there are four patterns within this creation glyph that, that you can identify, and they are earth, air, fire, and water. And we're starting to realize it looks like there may be ether within this creation glyph as well. But we were beginning to all see the common thread between how would we get the creation glyph. And the creation glyph seems to be formed out of love. And when you think about the things that we hold the most dear to us, that we have created, nearly always they've been created out of some part of us uh, that is in a space of love. Especially when with things like um, art, there is a part of us within that painting, an expression of us. Children are an expression of their parents. You know, they hold our love within them. And so this idea that creation is in water is designing in one of the most beautiful patterns I've ever seen in ice. And the fact that, that a loving expression is kind of coming um, into that and designing that pattern suggests that love and creation go together. But when you, going back to what I was talking about, and you have the living and gratitude glyph, and then you have the heart glyph, which is the love glyph, and you see them sitting one inside the other, say the heart inside the star hexagon pattern, that then um, translated means love lives in gratitude. Because the living and the gratitude mean the same thing, and the heart is inside it. So as we start to unravel and reveal how we read hydroglyphs, we get the most complex um, messages. And the complexity is really in how water seems to pick up on that information that we're giving it and how it responds to complex questions. But it does it in a very, it seems sort of like a the complex and the simple the, the simplicity is in the way in which you see these hydroglyphs sit inside each other or be around each other. The complexity for us is just to figure out what they mean. But the message is so, so profound. I asked water, what is a hydroglyph? And it showed me in hydroglyphs. It gave me the message glyph and the living glyph. It is a living message. And so as it's fascinating. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's also fascinating that other people can see this and do this. So when people want to learn my technique um, and they want to see what the message that water has for them is, I always suggest uh, to 
get the technique, but also get the list of hydroglyphs because water may want to show you a message that isn't in an artistic design. It may want to show you a complex message within the hydroglyphs and you don't know what they look like. You won't know what the message is. Mm -hmm. So this is like work that really kind of, those two things really should go together. And I think it's really important because someone might be really, really wanting to see a face and wanting to see water as a sort of what I term as like this photocopier, which is not always the way into which which to go into this work, but it may want to reveal a, a, a different message. And these messages, I mean, people all the way around the world are seeing these messages and getting the messages for themselves. So, um, I mean, there's so much to go into and so much to talk about um, because it obviously is my passion that it's also beginning to be other people's passion and that's why I do this yeah because what came to mind while you were speaking and I don't know if it's like the human aspect of me but I was like I want to try this and see what message water might have for me and not necessarily to take away from the water but just you know like having that relationship with the water what can it share with me Um, and then I started thinking okay if it shares a message that I don't necessarily you know, realize what it's trying to tell me, would I be able to feel through it, you know, using whatever I see, not necessarily attaching words to it, but more so like a feeling into it to to receive what it's sharing with me. Mm. And that's exactly the right way to go about it. And water can show you things that are about to happen. Um, Before I started sharing about my hydroglyphs, I'd still been doing them. And I have a private Facebook group for people that are actively using this work and have my technique so if anybody has my technique they need to say they have it to get accepted into the group because I really want to protect everyone's privacy that is doing the work but there's over 300 people in the group and so um, this one man taught his daughter how to do it and so she did some crystallography and he shared it and I saw these hydroglyphs in there and they were really clear two daggers and a stairway and uh, um, what I call the long leaf. So the long leaf means to rise up. The daggers are like a be careful, and the stairway is to climb up. And so I, I, I messaged him, and I said, could you please tell your daughter to be careful if she's climbing up something? Because when there's two daggers, it's like a really push of a message, like to be careful. And so immediately he got back to me, and, and he was like, lol, he goes, He said, tomorrow we're going to this place called Go Ape, where we're climbing up all these rope ladders and doing all this stuff around in the trees. I'll make sure to tell her to be careful. So the message was absolutely relevant to her because she'd done the crystallography for something she was about to do the next day, which was like not the first time I've seen that happen. And so how we can use this, another really cool one was, was a woman had lost her cat. Her cat had gone missing. And she was very much devoted to her cat. And in the Facebook group that I just mentioned, she said, look, I'm, I'm trying to ask Water if it can give me any information about where my cat is. And she was clearly distraught. And so what I saw, and she said, look, when I, here's the crystallography. I can see an arrow, and it's like pointing to somewhere that kind of looks like part of her garden. It was like an actual arrow. And what I saw it pointing to was a living hexagon, the hexagon, um, like living glyph, the glyph for living. And so I 
I'm always reluctant to say things, but I, I, I was compelled to, and I said, well, the arrow is pointing to this, uh, like, fern hexagon, which means living. So I, I personally, I think what I'm saying, your cat is alive. And so around four days have gone past, and in America, people are so worried about their cats being you know, got by coyotes and things. And so I think she was, like, really, really worried. Um, but then she posted something in the group, and she said, my cat came back, it's alive, and it's fine, the water was right. And so, you know, it, it's so interesting for me, because I've been so immersed in the work for so long, and I'm such a, like, a geek, like, really, I just, I just, just this is what, I'm, a huge part of what I do every day. But to see other people getting healed and getting messages and messages even from their loved ones one of the things and with with the group that i spoke to yesterday that i that i meet with regularly because i'm being filmed for a mini series about my work and and um, my life and my my um, experiences with water and the people that are working with me getting these hydroglyphs getting this work they're also being interviewed um and one of the, the this lovely lady, um, she we were talking about the creation glyph in relation to love, and she said she taught her mum how to do the work, and her mum had shown uh, put the petri dish of water on top of a photo of um, this lady's sister who had had died, so that was the her mother's daughter, and my friend's sister, and she died last year. And so there was just this overwhelming feeling of love coming from her mum when she did the work, and she got the creation glyph. And mm. so always there is this water is showing us something important. It is not it, it, our sometimes as humans we understand what it is to deceive people, to lie, but as the fluent expression of a higher um, fluid consciousness, water is not like that. Water is transparent. Water is not in judgment. Water will enter the body of an ant as easily as it will enter the body of a king or a queen or a homeless person. Water and is available for all. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to ask because like, um, what keeps coming to mind also is the intention. Because we're made up of so much water, you know, we naturally have that relationship, that connection to the water. Is the influence on the um, hydroglyphs or like the messages that can be displayed in the water, is that, I'm not sure if your research has um, shown it, but is that related to the intentions that we hold inside of our hearts or is it more so like the um, thoughts we have in our mind when we're actually doing these things with the water? It's an excellent question because someone came on in one of my workshops and said, I want to ask water about the last two years, but I have my own very strong beliefs about it. Will that influence the outcome? And so this then comes back to relationship. So when you begin your relationship with water, it's like a getting to know you kind of a situation. And it's really getting to know yourself. In the beginning, nearly everybody, including myself, is at a point where you kind of think that, well, maybe water is just receiving my conscious expression and showing it back to me. Because that's what we've learned so far, kind of with Emoto's work. He showed that 
thoughts um, influence the structure of water. So in my early beginnings of relationship with water, I, I was just always in curiosity. And because I started seeing imagery so early, it really kind of made me think, okay, water's seeing not just my thoughts, but things in its environment. Because I wasn't influenced. I do a lot where I don't influence the water at all. And it shows me something within its environment. And so like um, like trees or uh, waves or you know crabs or eels or things that are inside of that the water is seen something within its environment and i am going to this is going to answer your question but it, it just to, to understand it fully it kind of takes a tiny bit of explanation um and so i started to see that water could show things that it had seen on its own without any of my influence and then um i i kind of started to deepen in my relationship with water and by doing that I stopped assuming that I knew what water would do I, I my my ego started to get stripped away uh, because water wouldn't show up if I was sitting in that space but in the very beginning it let me just be like I was very curious I really had no idea what I was seeing and then as I started to become more familiar with what I was seeing and I started to see repeated things I'm like oh, well, it must mean this, it must mean this. And as soon as I would do that, it just stopped doing it or it would just show me something completely different. So what I started to realize is that water really is showing me how to love. So if you really like someone and you finally, they ask you, they ask you or you ask them out on a date and you go to a restaurant, you're so excited about seeing them. Their waiter or the waitress will come and serve you and there'll be all kinds of people in the, the place but your focus is on that person. You know, you might have got dressed up or beautiful or handsome or whatever, and you're just and you're just so interested in that person. You want to get to know them, what they think, want to see all the little expressions in their face, you know, all these things that we do when we're really attracted to somebody. So you wouldn't really be able to tell what was going on around you um, because your focus uh, and bonding is happening right there in front of you. Now, as that relationship develops, if it's a good relationship, you start to realize that you don't always have to wear the most fancy clothes and your hair doesn't always have to be perfect and that you don't always have to wear makeup and that actually that person is going to love you just the way you are. And as we get to know each other, we we start to throw away those masks, you know, that we can put on. And when we're truly loved, we can just we can just we're accepted just the way we are. And that then kind of comes into like a family realm where you're brought up with somebody. Nobody cares if your hair's a mess and you've just woken up and you're bleary eyed and your breath could like kill a goat. It's like, <laughs> it's like, that's just life. So people always ask me, does the room have to be perfect with incense and candles and perfect everything? And of course that's lovely. And water would love that, but it's also not real life. Real mm. life for me is the dog barking next door and the, you know, the comings and goings of the children and stuff happening, phone ringing. But because my relationship has gone from more formal to very, very relaxed, mm -hmm. my relationship with water, it doesn't need to have that formality anymore. It already knows what I'm thinking before I even think it, actually. 
which is remarkable because yeah. it's like I don't have to show it the fo- I don't even have to show it the word. I need to think the word and I will see the image. And so the relationships developed. So when you see that water has its own voice, when you see it for yourself, and it can take time, but when you see it and you believe it, then what happens is that you realize that when you start communicating with water and it's giving you responses outside of what you might expect or outside of what you've already thought that are very sophisticated, you recognize that their water has definitely got the ability to share information separate to you. So if you want to ask a question and you have an outcome that you want in your mind, or if you have a thought already um, that has uh, developed and you want water to give you the answer that's separate from you, you have to have already made the distinction that water has its own voice. Because if you don't believe that, then what you, you're, you're always going to be on the fence about whether that's an expression of your consciousness or whether that's actually water telling you. It really does come back to your own relationship with water. And as many of the people that work with me have said on camera, seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. When you see it for yourself, you start to realize that water is say, sharing something from, from a divine place for you. Until we recognize that water really is a way in which we can commune with a divine space, we will never really understand what's happening here because we're so much still in this physical body that we have all of the physical thoughts that are attached to the body. And when water is released from that and or spirit is released from the physical, it no longer has the concerns of the body. It is the observer. And so what I hold dear is that water is really a voice of the divine. We are speaking with the unseen in a way in which now can be seen. And this is the time that water is showing us this. Mm -hmm. So it's important, I think, for us to start realizing that, in fact, this is something where if you, because I've, I've read so many different texts and philosophies and religious kind of um, notions about creation and things like this. One of them, within the Bible, it says that um, that God, um, the face of like God looked upon the face of water, and that's actually really interesting. And I, I wrote it down because I'm looking at different indigenous cultures and beliefs and things like that. But it said the spirit of God was wavering over the face of the waters, suggesting that the waters were there, but had a face. (laughs) And so it's interesting that the word face is even there. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about this idea that the spoken word is spoken over or looked over or the face is looked over the face of water, this is what we're doing. The little world is the Petri dish. And then when you're going from the bond, the unseen, it becomes seen. 
within this little world. The creation happens. And this is what we see. I'm seeing all of the time. And it's like this I wrote, I thought was really interesting. The doctrine of creation is not primarily about origins. It's actually about relationship, relationship with the creator and the creation. And so this is very much about what I'm seeing in this work. It's like, what is our relationship between the creator and creation? And like I said about my partner, you know, I, I created the art, the children, they are the creation, and he loves my creation and he loves the creator, and within that he becomes the frame of the picture. And so I think there are so many ways in which we can use this work, but it does require us to do the work. It requires us to do the inner work within the waters of our own body. Bruce Lee says, you know, be like water. Water becomes the cup. It becomes the teapot. Someone said to me, well, maybe water has become the human. And someone also said, what if water is expressing, expressing its consciousness through us and through every living thing on this planet and beyond to observe itself from every different perspective? There is so much to think about within that realm. But I do feel that there is so much more to know and yet I feel like an infant. <laughs> Even after all the nine years of work I've done, I feel like I really, really know only the bare minimum. <laughs> and uh, I like to kind of keep it that way because I think the moment I start thinking I know it all is the moment and the day that water will not work with me anymore. Yeah, maintaining that beginner's mind yeah. And really allowing for the water to lead, be the teacher. It's so beautiful how you were intuitively led to begin this work. It really speaks profoundly to how far it's led you to where you are now and the ability that you have to share this message with us. We're so grateful. It's been really healing and amplifying in my heart space to hear all that you've had to share with us. Thank you. Well, it's been my absolute pleasure. Um, I, I guess people will always ask me on podcasts, what can they do to inspire their water before they drink it? So it's always nice to give a two cents worth of that. Um, I always say, think about what the last word you spoke was before you drink any water, because I've done tests with saliva after saying a word that reveal that in, within the saliva, there is information still held of that word. And so there is a resonance within your mouth and it's such an intimate thing that happens that we're drinking water and it's becoming us. So we are the filtration system. We are the vortexing system. We are the body of water that the water is entering. So it's one of the things that I think it's nice to be mindful about what the last word you spoke was before you bring the water and invite the water inside of you. And then uh, water loves to move. So I always say, even if you, you have no capacity to um, get any spring water, go and collect it. Because I always say, if you can go and collect it, it's like a pilgrimage. Go and collect your water if you can. But not everybody can do that. So be mindful of where you buy water from. If you're going to buy it, see, try and buy it from a conscious company. If you can, buy it from a container of glass that actually is a color, like blue or green because water doesn't like unnatural artificial light. 
it degrades the structure. So if you can find a company in a, uh, that, that actually uses a dark glass bottle, then that can really maintain a lot more of its structure. Um, you can simply get the best water that you've got, even if it's just filtered tap water, and you can just get a spoon and stir it one way and then stir it the other. If you've got a milk frother, you can create the vortex in there. Um, I've seen incredible results <clears throat> structurally when people, people filter water through silk. And um, I'm working on uh, put, getting that actually out for people. My partner and I have been wanting to give people like the best opportunity to have the best structural experience of water and be the healthiest environment for water to be. But uh, when I was in India, I watched um, these Indian ladies um, helping each other. They were around a pump and they had the silk sari and they were filtering the water coming out of the pump through the sari. The ladies were holding it out. It was going into a big bucket. And the translator said to me, uh, they know that this is going to make the water healthier for them and it also, uh, from a spiritual level, has a lot of resonance for them. And Rudolf Steiner recommends doing that even to his students to filter water through silk. And I recently spoke to Dr. Gerald Pollack, who is a friend and mentor of mine, and he said that they can see just by being close to silk, water starts to build this exclusion zone. So there is, when you think about how silk is made, it's essentially made to for transformation. The silkworm makes it to transform from one stage to another. So there is something powerful within that. So, um, you know, there's all kinds of other things one can do, but I always try to think of the most natural things you can do. I'm personally um, not a fan of machine-made water. Mm -hmm. I, I think nature knows best. Um, and even conscious expression. Your conscious expression, if you get your water and hold it to your heart as if it was a child and allow it to hear your heartbeat, I know I use terms that are very human, but from what I've seen, water responds to things like the heartbeat, and you leave it there for a period of time, you'll see a structural difference. Um, I like water in blue glass bottles. If you have a blue glass bottle, Put the water inside of that, let it sit in the sun for 15 minutes to an hour or so. That's called blue solar water. Water that has been, um, the light that has been filtered through blue glass uh, helps the body to relieve it of stressful memories and stressful thoughts. It helps to um, bring the body into a more of a state of balance. And then you can also see that there can be a structural improvement in that way. And then that's using color and light and water and consciousness uh, and then drinking that water, being mindful of what you say. It can make a huge difference in the way in which water responds inside of you. Well, thank you so much for sharing those tips. I know for me personally, that'll help a lot. Um, you, If you have time to answer, you mentioned using water to heal yourself um, in the beginning of the episode. Can you elaborate a little bit about like what kind of water you used? I know you said it was high pH mm -hmm. um, and how that healed you. I personally think there are certain medicine waters around the world. I happen to find one. Um, a medicine water is a water of which can either heal you physically or it can heal, help to heal you emotionally. 
The emotional healing can happen when you're bathing in certain waters, so certain um, types of water, just by bathing in them, like in the in the Ganges, for example, and various things. There can be a, a spiritual or physical or, or emotional healing. But there are some waters, I think, that are like a, a physical medicine. And so the properties of that water, uh, you can look at. They had had a, a naturally high pH, which means power or potential of hydrogen. Um, it had a high bicarb um, uh, within its um, structures, um, and it, it has like it had a lot of mineral quality. So it came from a very very deep underwater aquifer, and that aquifer is actually filled with quartz. So it was a very rare, and where I was getting it from, um, the the guy was actually only giving it to cancer patients, and so he gave me some, and um, I had such a profound experience where my body purged itself of 27 pieces of glass that had been embodied in my body for body for over 20 years from a terrible car accident that I was in, and I really went on this deep dive into like how is it possible that this water did this for me when all the other alkaline waters that I tried didn't and I really had to go into Tesla's quote which was if you want to know the secrets of the universe look towards energy vibration and frequency because you can look at the topical analysis of water and see what it holds what's in it but what do you really know about the water? You know what it's um, been hungry for because the water is termed as hungry water. It's always looking to absorb things along its journey. So this is what it holds, but what what is it without that? So I got to understand that water has a high, this water anyway that healed me, had a very high frequency. And in a similar way to how an opera singer sings a high note and just can break glass, it was as if that water went into all the different cells of my body, giving it this new sound, this new vibration that in, that kind of perfectly um, made the orchestra of my of my frequency. And so this kind of finale, I suppose, would be that that higher resonance, that higher vibration and frequency of that water from that place actually purged that glass it's recognized that the glass wasn't meant to be there and it literally pushed it out and it's the only way I can explain that it happened but it also happened to my dad so I, I trialed that water on many many people uh, from my wellness center that I had and everybody had an improvement whether it was in an energy improvement or it was um, that they um, were very sick and actually had a profound healing experience, but everybody's eyesight improved, which was interesting. Mm. Um, and my dad started drinking it, and he he's a fisherman. His, his name's Bill Hohefer. He's pretty well-known in New Zealand. And um, he had had a, a fish spike from the fin go between his knuckles, and he thought he'd got it all out. Um and he had just had a scar from that. But after drinking the water, this fish spike started to make its way. This, the rest that he didn't get, this like fossilized bit of spike started to come out from between his fingers. And so it has this ability to like purge <laughs> us. And so I'm still looking and I do and I know that there are medicine waters dotted around the world. Um, 
But one of the things I've also spoken to is uh, a beautiful woman who has studied studied the Andean culture from, for a long, long time. And there's a saying that we have four parents, our mother and father, and our father mountain and our mother river. So it's said that wherever you were born, physically born, there is a water nearby that is the most healing and resonant for you. And that if we ever get the opportunity to go back to where we were born and find the closest river or stream or aquifer that was near where we were born, to give our humble thanks to that to that mother and then find our mountain and give our humble thanks to that father. And so it's interesting because I think that I haven't yet found in America where that medicine water is, but I know there is one. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. And there is, for me, an internal water diviner, I suppose, that is able to be guided towards where this healing water is. Um, and so I would love to be able to have an opportunity to really explore all the different countries around the world to be able to, d to find out where that medicine water is. And it may be that it's there's only a few, but... Um, People around the world will know where they are and they would have had those experiences and they would be able to, it wouldn't be so hard to find out where those are. Um, and, and that is that they can be used as seed water. So I could take, I've did lots and lots of tests where I took, um, uh, where I did pH tests. So um, you can have two cups of water and say it's that high pH water that helped heal my body. And then you can use, say, a, a water that has a pH of 6. So it's kind of acidic. So the, the middle ground is 7, which is what distilled water is. And anything above that is alkaline. Anything below that is acidic. And so the pH of 6 is not an uncommon um, tap water, for example. But, and so... When you're testing for pH and you use drops, the pH of my high alkaline water was like a purpley blue color. But the pH of the, the six was kind of like a, a kind of yellowy color. And so if you pour a little bit of the high pH water into the, the low pH water, it immediately brings it up to like a, an eight, starts to turn, it turns it blue. So its alkalinity will overpower it and kind of make it, bring it up in structure. But it will also change its crystallography. As I said, they can sit next to each other and you can see a structural informational change. And so when you, when you kind of see all of that happening, um, it's very empowering because you can kind of then go, well, um, this little bit of this water put into the best water I can find is going to seed it with information. I wouldn't recommend doing that with anything other than what would be the mother water or the medicine water though, because water really isn't meant to be mixed. I remember going to this, uh, this event and people from all the way around the world got all the best, most beautiful water that they could from their country. And all the water, when you looked at it, everyone's water was pure and clear and beautiful. And then they thought what they would do was mix all the waters together. 
I have a photo of it. At the end of that day, with all of the beautiful waters from all the way around mixed together, the water nearly got a kind of brown color. It's like blood. You know, we have different types of blood. One, they're not meant to be mixed. Mm -hmm. And so water is, seems to be a little bit like that, in that it's, it, there's this medicine, these medicine waters, that just one drop can make a difference. But other, other than that, they're not really designed to be mixed together. So um, I know that was a very long-winded story about that, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate it. We appreciate the backstory because it really brings the message full circle. So it makes it understood and understood. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And as we close, we like to um, ask all of our guests that we have a few questions, if you have a few minutes. Um, what does being feel and look like for you? What does being feel, feel and look like for you? Um, I guess for me, being is right now, right in this moment. Uh, the reason I say that is because we are bodies full of memories. That's what we do. When we look back at our life, our entire life is a memory. Mm -hmm. I think being right now in this moment is all we have. And if we can be a beautiful memory in the hearts of somebody else, then that is what we leave behind when we pass in this life. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to link your website in our show notes, but if you want to tell people where they can find information about you, your work. Sure. Um, it's just my, my name, VadaAustin.com is my website. And I post pictures daily on Instagram, which is VadaAustin underscore water. And on Facebook, it's VadaAustin at Water Researcher. Okay. Great, great. And if there's anything that you would like the audience to take away, if it's just one thing, what would that be? Uh, if you watch water and if you observe it for long enough, you will see that water is always going back to source, just like us. How we get there is up to us. But if we flow like water, we will get there in the most graceful, beautiful way we can. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for spending your time with us and enlightening us. I feel like you activated something I knew inside of me yeah. that I wasn't conscious about, but I have such an um like a calling or a drawing mm -hmm. to water right now. So thank you so much. Same. That's, yes. My pleasure. Thank you so much for you guys being exactly who you are and the water inside of me sees the water inside of you and honors it. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Many blessings to you. You too. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Continue flowing in your own space by simply being. If this resonated with you and you feel called, please be sure to follow us, like, and share. Until next time, wherever you go, give yourself space, space to, to flow. flow. Peace out, family. family. <laughs>
that's why I had to take that moment to really express my gratitude. Yeah. Because I was like, nah, sis, can you just hit the record? We're just going to have to get into it right now. <laughs> it's already on. Oh, Because yeah. I felt it. Because <clears throat> it was just so divine being in her presence and not in a way to put her on a pedestal, but just feeling such a gratitude of the reflection, like seeing how embodied she is and the healing and like the messages that she's received from the work that she's was guided to do and Mm -hmm. is now doing it for almost 10 years and also her human aspect yeah like i was really grateful that she brought it like full circle you know Mm -hmm. like she expressed the human thoughts like the natural human thoughts that we all have because the mind can wander Mm -hmm. and then she brought it back to like no like yeah it's normal to have those thoughts but we're all so different you remember who you are and it's like it's that embodying of the the self it was a beautiful conversation yeah yeah and i think you said it best like the way that she mentioned all the points of the human experience but with the spiritual aspect of the human experience Mm -hmm. like that really made it really full circle and really have a deep inner standing and deep resonance and activation because throughout the episode i kept feeling like an activation in my heart space i was feeling sweaty i was feeling hot oh yeah my palms are like yeah me too (laughs) um and it was beautiful because like i could just sit there and listen to her speak and speak (laughs) and she really went in depth Mm -hmm. you know like it really didn't leave too many questions it was just like certain nudges that Mm -hmm. arose in me but she gave thorough explanations and i really feel that she activated some kind of inner knowing it's a beautiful i really felt like i was brought back to the vision of being an embryo like i really felt like i was in the body of like it's coming to me now that's how it is yeah like i'm like i'm in a body of water and it really brought back like those memories that we lost when we transitioned from the womb into life yeah like i can almost be brought to tears right now that's a great visual because that's the feeling it's like the little tiny like Mm -hmm. speck but surrounded in a like a fluid yeah and like the memory that's held in that fluid because it like the feeling is coming to me now is like being an embryo being in the womb all of the um really highly intellectual intelligence that is in the the that liquid Mm -hmm. because of the source that it comes from and she really like put it together because the source of all water is divine yeah and we are water everything stems from water and nothing can survive without the water which makes so much sense so it was just really impactful how not only did she deliver the messages of her work that's very like surface surface but it's mm-hmm. not it really spoke to like activating i guess like the work within us or like the remembrance within us yeah and something also like the divine being the source like water returns to the source mm-hmm. um but also how like we're made up of our ancestors we're made up of our parents um, it was towards the beginning of the conversation when she was saying, like, do we come out a blank slate? Right. Or, and that kind of triggered another remembrance that it's like, of course, we're all connected because mm-hmm. we're all one. But it took water connecting us to, like, another level. Yeah. I kept thinking of um, when she said about, like, the good water being in the center and then, like, the bad, for 
first like you know like the bad eggs around it mm-hmm. um i kept like seeing uh trees and mushrooms you know how like in a forest if there's a sick tree the mm-hmm. other trees will send healing to it like through the roots it's like of course they do that and of course nature does that of course like that's what's around us right and that's what's possible for us as well because it's such a representation of us yeah and i really like how she mentioned that it's the human aspect of us that would think otherwise that Mm -hmm. the bad the good egg would be impacted in a negative way by all the bad eggs instead of the reverse because of the human nature that we carry so it's really nice that she's bringing forward these these physical representations that we can all witness to really remind us of the power of the light it's a shift in perspective because like as a human it's very easy for us like let's say you're operating on a high vibe but then a series of unfortunate events happens or you're around a bunch of people who may not be on the same frequency as you and you can be drained from Mm. that experience you know like i know i've personally felt it but then hearing her say that and like what her research her study is is gonna show because i'm very confident that that's what the results will be what her hypothesis is it's uh reassuring that like no your frequency does not necessarily have to be lowered because of your surroundings you maintain who you are regardless of what's happening and it's kind of the reverse instead of like others draining you you're actually spreading your light onto them and helping uplift them Mm -hmm. i love it (laughs) that's it 